anniversaries, and it was a boring month. No birthdays, no anniversaries in February. Uh, so nothing to congratulate anybody on, so we'll just move right along. Matthew chapter 2, please. Matthew chapter 2. Very familiar story this morning we're going to go over, and uh, we have been talking about Matthew's desire to focus on the king, okay, and that is what his theme has been, his job, as he saw fit, as the Lord had laid in his heart, was to explain to the children of Israel that their king has come, okay, and that has been his desire, and uh, we talked about the fact of the kingdom, and we talked that the fact that the entire scripture is based upon the kingdom, that God is king. He always has been. He always will be. Uh, and he uh, is ruling. And we just talked about that, his sovereignty, and God's got everything under control in his plan. Uh, we talked last week in chapter 1 about the amazing intricacies of what God had done to protect the seed and that royal line, and that from the very beginning, Satan had tried to scramble that up and mess with it, and every time Satan put his hand in there, he thought he might have had the victory, but God always came out steps ahead, and things were fine until the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And between his virgin birth, his royal line through Joseph, and his physical line through Mary, those three pieces worked out to be the perfect scenario that no other person, no other uh, event could have matched that because it was exactly what needed to happen for Jesus Christ to come and assume the role of king on the, uh, as it fits for the throne of David and the prophecies all through the word of God. And I, again, I love that. When we look to God's word and not only see his love and his mercy and his power and his salvation, but we see that down through the ages in this world, he has had his hand upon everything, and it all works out to fit exactly what he has said in his word. Okay, I love that. And as we've been looking at the book of Daniel, guys, on Wednesday night, we saw that already, how God worked out perfectly everything that was supposed to happen, even so Jeremiah, who, who prophesied the things ahead of time, it came to pass exactly the way Jeremiah said it when Daniel was taken into captivity. Over and over and over, God confirms his word, and there's always things in this world that prove the truth of the Bible. And again, I want to say that carefully. Sometimes people will look at it and say, oh, look, the Bible proves that these things in the world are true. No, the things that happen in this world prove that the Bible is true, because it's always been true, okay? And that's the way we approach it. Well, today we're going to look at a very familiar story, uh, and I want to make sure that we see a few things that uh, have been sort of uh, down through the ages, kind of slid off into sort of folklore and, and kind of our Christmas understanding, all right? So we talked about the birth of Jesus in chapter 1. Today we're going to talk about three wise men, okay? And so many of us hear the stories and have heard the things, and uh, I want to make sure that as we look at this, we see the scriptural basis and how these things fit together, all right? So that we'll never be confused again, because there is some confusion, all right? Just like there's confusion about Christmas and Easter and everything else that's out there, that uh, we want to make sure we are biblical according to what the scripture says. Um, but... The theme for today is the reception of the king. 
Okay, and this is an amazing part. One of the things I just spoke uh, in Sunday, Sunday school when we were beginning is if you were to enter the king's throne room to come and visit the king, okay, you would have a royal presentation. Okay, again, we have lost that, the monarchy idea, and especially of a supreme ruler, where, you know, you don't just casually come into the king's throne room. What's up? Okay, you usually dressed in your absolute best. You would come to the king generally presenting him some sort of gifts, and you generally would show a lot of pomp and circumstance, a lot of regalia, a lot of things that give the king the honor and the... Uh, majesty that he deserves to the point of falling on your faces and all the things that you would do to honor the king well god in the book of matthew sees fit that this is exactly what happens he sends wise men from the east bearing very expensive gifts to come and give unto the new king credence okay they gave him his position by their presence by their presence. Get that? Okay, presence meaning they came into his presence to honor him, and presence because they gave him gifts. All right? So this is a big deal. This is something that is important that these wise men... Now, we'll break this down in a minute. I don't want to jump ahead of my notes, but let's read the first couple of verses of Matthew chapter 2. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea... In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor, and and shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said go and search diligently for the young child and when ye have found him bring me word again that I may come and worship him and when they heard the king they departed and lo the star which they saw in the east before them uh, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was and when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceeding great joy let's pray Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, what it teaches us. Give us clarity. Help us to understand some of the misconceptions that have been taught. But Father, to remind ourselves how important it is that these wise men came to honor the newborn king. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, an interesting part, as we talk about the different gospels and we've said this several times as we've been setting up that each of the gospels have a separate focus and i just reminded you what joe uh, what uh, matthew's focus was matthew's focus is to give jesus christ his position as king in regards to the jews and the old testament law well believe it or not 
uh, as many times as we hear about this, Matthew is the only gospel to record the wise men to come. None of the other gospels do this. Matthew was the only one that uh, saw fit to record the fact that these king choosers, and I'll say that specifically because we'll, in the notes it'll be up there in a minute, were the ones who came and visited. Luke, John, Mark, don't see fit to mention this. Matthew mentions it because, again, his job that the Lord has given him is to present this baby as the king of the Jews. So these royal okay, ambassadors come to give honor to the new king. All right, so that's up there with it, right? The only Matthew, he, they came to confirm Jesus' royalty. Now keep that in your mind. It's very important that none of the three other Gospels thought it was interesting. As a matter of fact, Luke, on the other hand, is the only Gospel that records that the shepherds come. And what was Luke's job, according to God's Holy Spirit? Luke presented Jesus as the Son of Man, okay, as the human. And Luke focuses on the fact that these lowly shepherds out in the field were called, and they went to worship him as king. Matthew doesn't bother with the shepherds because what do shepherds have to do with honoring the royalty of a king? Matthew focuses on the wise men coming. Now, uh, to give you a head, this is not in the notes, but I just want to put this in your uh, thinking again. There is nothing in the scripture that says this is three wise men. Okay, nothing there that says that. As a matter of fact, there are studies and theologians and people who would tell you what the names of these three wise men were. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that says there are three wise men, okay? There are three gifts, okay? We don't have the exact number of these wise men. So I'm just telling you scripturally, I want to correct some of the ideas that we have out in this world, that there were three wise men, and we sing the songs about wise men three. Nothing proves that there were three. You with me? Stay with me. Now, do I have any problem with my uh, every manger scene that they, I own has three wise men? No. Okay, fine, whatever. Just like a Christmas tree is not there because Jesus was a Christmas tree. Okay, we just do things when we celebrate holidays, all right? Keep those things in mind. When we want to bring it back to God's word and what is scriptural, we want to make sure we're doing what is right. Okay, number two. The wise men were from Babylon, uh, Ur of the Chaldees. This is where Abraham was called out, Abram, and God changed his name to Abraham. For those of us who just finished the book of Job, this is where Job is from. This is Edom. Okay, this is also where, guys, we're studying Daniel. This is also Babylon where Daniel was brought. Okay, when Daniel, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came on his second campaign against uh, Jerusalem and took away all the wise men and all the artisans and the craftsmen and carried away hundreds and hundreds and thousands of mighty men to Babylon. This is where we're talking about. The question and why this is important is why would these wise men who live in Babylon, which is a heathen Gentile nation, why would they have any understanding of when the king of the Jews would come? Right? The children of Israel, yeah, they have the whole Old Testament. They should be knowing. They should be looking. Why, all the way over here in Babylon, are there people who are paying attention to this? Well, a couple things. Number one, they were respected leaders of, of uh, priestly govern. Uh, blah, blah, try that again. 
group of leaders of priestly governmental order that chose the king. Okay, contrary to a lot, of another, a lot of other nations around the world where you are just born and the family line passes on, Babylon, these wise men, these magi, if you want to use one of the words that's also put out there, uh, they chose a king. They were a respected group of spiritual leaders and they chose a king. So they were continuously searching and looking for royalty and kingship. Right? I just want you to be understood. These nations that have a dictatorship that is passed on from king to queen to son to daughter, there's no thinking. If you look at the royal family right now in, in Britain, right? There's only certain people who qualify. Right? You can't, you can't just choose them. As a matter of fact, there's questions about what disqualifies you from being in the throne, in line of the throne. Okay, there's no choice. There's only a handful of people that fit. Well, in Babylon, it was different. Babylon, these wise men chose the king. So they were continuously searching, looking, watching for signs of the kingship. Important for us to understand that. Secondarily, they had access to the word of God. Matter of fact, they had access to most of the word of God. Now, I started out us uh, with this thought Please remember that Daniel spent most of his life in a leadership position in the kingdom of Babylon. Now, we just learned this neat thing about uh, Daniel, and here's a trivia question for you, but it's an amazing thing to, to remember. There are two people in the, in the Bible in which no sin or ill behavior is mentioned. Okay, we said this on Wednesday night, remember? There are two people in the Scriptures... Okay, you look at Moses, but he killed an Egyptian. You look at Noah, the things that went on in his life. There are two people in the Bible that not a single negative thing is brought up about them. One of them is Joseph, and one of them is Daniel. Okay, and they are both amazing pictures of Christ. Interestingly enough, name me two people in the Old Testament, in the stories, that were moved up to some of the highest positions in a nation in a world empire those two men joseph in egypt became second daniel became third in in uh, babylon and moved on in persia okay god uses both of them no negative but with that in mind understand when daniel was just a young teenager 14 15 years old was brought captive into the land of babylon moved very quickly up to the third in the kingdom and he was one of the most faithful servants of God that we know of. We understand that the scripture and God's word was very accessible in Babylon through Daniel. All right, so it's not unheard of why these folks would have the word of God. Because the third in the kingdom was a true worshiper of Jehovah and as a matter of fact, he wrote the book of Daniel while he was there. He spent 90 years of his life out of Jerusalem, over in this heathen part of the world. Lived a faithful, I won't say sinless, because nobody's sinless, but God never saw fit to bring any attention to anything he had done wrong. Okay, so these wise men had access. And as a matter of fact, guys, you're going through Daniel, read through Daniel. If you ever heard Daniel, how many times did nebuchadnezzar say your god is the god of gods 
Your God is Lord of kings, a revealer of secrets. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar, when you get to the kings of Persia, same thing. Okay, remember the lion, Daniel in the lion's den? And the king had such a wonderful relationship with Daniel, and Daniel prayed every day and had that testimony before him that when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, the next morning the king ran out to the lion's den and wanted to know if Daniel was okay. So again, when we talk about how would these wise men have any understanding of the scripture, they had access to God's word. And they sought diligently when this king would arrive. You with me so far? It's important that we understand that these just weren't guys who just said, oh, look, a star. Okay, they understood very, very carefully because they were ones who were seeking signs of kings continuously because it was their job to appoint a king. Right, keep going. Jeremiah's prophecy uh, were known to the Babylonians. One of the instances, and just to give you a heads up on this, if you go to Jeremiah, where are we, chapter 40, chapter 40, verse 2 through 5. This is really neat. Just, well, I can start off in verse 1. And the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord after... Nebuchadnezzar, in, yeah, there he is, uh, captain of the guard. So the captain of the guard of the Babylonians led him to Ramah when he had taken him to uh, be bound in chains among all that were carried away captive of Jerusalem and Judah, which were carried away captive unto Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said unto him, the Lord thy God hath pronounced this evil upon this place. So the captain of the guard of the Babylonians quoted back to Jeremiah the fact that, listen, Jehovah God told us that this was going to happen. So this isn't Jeremiah standing up and preaching. This is the captain of the guard saying, listen, the things that you had wrote earlier about the prophecy about Jerusalem being taken captive by Babylon, he said, God already told you this was going to happen. And those who were studying on Wednesday night with me, we read this. Jeremiah talks about the fact that, hey, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to take you captive. And sure enough, the Babylonians come and Nebuchadnezzar takes him captive. Well, but I, what I find interesting is here is a heathen Babylonian captain of the guard. He's not a Jew. He's not Hebrew. But he understood the prophecy that was there. He already knew. So they were very familiar with the word of God. All right, keep going. <clears throat> they knew that a star would be involved in numbers. It says, Ye, uh, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy the children of Sheth. The prophecy that there would when Messiah, when the king of kings shows up, that a star would be involved. All right? I'm just trying to tell you why these wise men showed up, because they had full understanding that the prophecies of God would be fulfilled in the king that was coming. All right, keep going. So let's look at the star for a minute. Now, i got to be careful... I don't want to shake anybody's understanding of this precious little Christmas star that we understand. But I want to tell you something, that this is a supernatural activity. 
All right? The reason I say that is every single Christmas, guys, and if you're not paying attention to it, good for you. Someone will come out and try to describe astrologically uh, or whatever how, they, uh, how this star appeared. That Venus lined up with Mars and, and this, and it made a special light in the sky uh, that these things happened. Um, guys, this was something specific and amazing. All right? God made this happen. This was not a natural occurrence. You with me so far? I want this to be understood. Um, one of the, uh, along the same line, just to give you a heads up, people all the time say, well, w- you remember it said uh, Jonah got swallowed by a whale. Okay, well, there's only one whale on this planet that has a big enough throat that can actually swallow a man, so it must have been this. Okay, so they try to take this natural thing. Well, Jesus reminds us that the Lord prepared a great fish. Okay, it's a God made this thing specifically for Jonah. So even if you can say there's only one, it must have been that one. No, God says he made it special. Well, the star is something special, guys. I want you to remember that. Okay, every year this happens and they try to say it's a supernova. They try to say it's a comet or it tries to say it's some sort of planets lined up. And if you want to Google it and go to Wikipedia and whatever you want, you will hear all kinds of ideas on how this might have happened okay they're not going to figure it out because god did this special for this day how do i know that well a couple of words important in the bible number one this word went before okay this thing moved all right now i know about you i've seen venus and mars and jupiter and things like that uh i've never stood out in the sky and watched it move okay yeah if you want to stand there for hours at a time with a time-lapse camera you can see the whole sky turn but this star the word here says it led before them here's one of the ways we study bible and we've been talking about this in matthew you will uh, learn rules of bible study one of the rules of bible study is find out where god used the same word Okay, so God uses the same word here. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get in the ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, if you know the rest of the story, that's where Jesus walks on water. Okay, but the same phrase here, went before or go before him, is the same thing. Jesus said, you guys go first, and I'm going to come behind you and follow you. So this star that they saw moved and they followed it. Now, I don't care who you are, unless it's a comet, but we'll, we'll deal with that in a second, it ain't moving anywhere. Okay? And right now, we got all kinds of crazy things out there. If you go out in the night sky and look up and you're seeing something move, you're calling uh, the inquirer, I see a UFO! Okay, this is something supernatural that God did. Okay? The star moved, leading them. Keep going. It also took some two months for them to get there. The journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, you didn't jump on the bullet train and show up the next day. You're talking about a two-month journey. And this entire two months, the star led them there. Now, with that in mind, you can have Halley's Comet or something else like that. It ain't taking two months to move across the sky. 
You with me so far? I want us to understand as the Bible describes this, this is not some uh, celestial activity in the stars, planets, moons. This is something God did special. All right? And we're going to see that when we get to the next verse. And keep going. This is not possible. It doesn't line up with, uh, with the lineup of planets or a supernova. Uh, ooh, we had a supernova, and then two months later, that supernova is in a different place. Okay, it doesn't happen that way. I want us to understand this because it just, every Christmas, you'll see an article somewhere that we've described how this star happened. No, you didn't. <laughs> okay? Keep going. The possible answer. <gasps> Here we go. I'm not telling you this is what happened, but if it's a supernatural thing in which God caused to happen just for this occasion, and it moved and led them, angels in the Bible are sometimes known as stars. You ever hear that? Okay. Here in Revelation, guys, we studied this a while ago. The mystery of the seven stars, this is Jesus' word. If you have a red Bible, it's in red. Thou sawest on my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks without sauce are seven churches. Jesus himself said, you know what, those stars that you saw, those are angels. Okay, keep going. Jesus himself is called the day star and the bright and morning star. Okay, as a matter of fact, Lucifer is referred to as the light bearer and it says he disguises himself as an angel of light over and over and over i didn't put the verse in psalms but it talks about when creation happened the stars of heaven sang for joy okay in the scripture many times angels referred to are referred to as stars now i'm just telling you i don't know isn't it great when you can look at god's word and say I don't know. All I know is this was something special that God did. So I wanted to put that in your mind. That if you are hearing somebody and say, oh yeah, Jupiter lined up with, uh, you know, this, or all the stars of Orion's belt, you know, they all... Listen, God did something special for this time. Okay? Could it have been an angel? Absolutely. Why? Well, not unheard of, right? Revelation, oh, I forgot about this verse. Revelation talks about when the devil fell from heaven, said his tail draw a third of the stars of heaven, right? And a couple verses later, what does it say? Deceive the whole world. He was cast down to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So here in Revelation again, it says when the devil was cast out, he drew stars which are equated with angels. With me so far? Now, I'm not telling you this is absolutely it. I'm just telling you it's a close possibility. The next verse here, this is not unheard of. What's the Luke story? And they were uh, in the field, uh, what? Watching their flocks by night, shepherds. And lo, there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came, and the glory of them showed around about them, and they were sore afraid. Um, angels were very much involved in the announcement of the Lord Jesus Christ coming as king. I don't have a hard time thinking that maybe this star that led them was an angel. Can't say for sure. I wasn't there. 
But some things we know absolutely for sure. It was a special occasion. It moved, okay, and it led them to where they needed to be. To the point where we see this phrase again. Keep going. Matthew 2, verse 9 and 10. So it said it led them, and they went and saw uh, Herod to ask about the king. And then it said when they went outside of meeting with Herod, all of a sudden the star had moved again. You catch this? Look what it says. And when they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star, which they saw in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So it starts out saying the star led them to Jerusalem. They went and inquired of the king and inquired of the scribes and the priests. And all of a sudden, when they were done with him, they went outside and lo, you know, that word is not like, and the star, they just follow. It's like, hey, something new has been introduced. Lo, the star went and moved to where the young child was. So I just want us to understand this was something supernatural that God was doing. Now, I don't know if any of us who believe in God have a problem with him doing something supernatural. He does it all the time. But I just want us to understand, too many times in this world, science and branches of science, whether it's biology or physics or or astrology or astronomy, try to prove the things that the Bible say. And if they can't come up with an answer, they default the Bible. Well, the Bible defaults them. All right? Just because they can't prove it doesn't mean it didn't happen. God did something extra special here. Okay, and then I want you to see this. Don't go yet. Oh, go back one more. Oh, oh. All right, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It brought joy to their heart to see this star which was leading them. We're going to go back to that because I want us to understand their response to God's bringing them to the king. It was exceeding great joy. All right, number two, Herod. Oh, Herod was threatened by a new king of the Jews. And we see it through the rest of the story, right? Herod says, oh, please, uh, tell me where to find him because I'd like to come and worship him too. Wink, wink. Okay? And we know the rest of the story that his desire was to kill him. Okay? It was never to worship him. He was threatened. And please remember, this is the Roman Empire, but Herod was given leadership and ruling over the Jews. So this was a direct threat to his position. All right? He would, if there a king of the Jews showed up, he was out of a job. All right? Now, I just want this to be understood because when we're ending today, we've got to focus on this. Okay? He sought to kill him. Keep going. The chief priests and scribes. We read, you know what? Herod went in and said, hey guys, is there anything in the Bible that says about where the king should be born? And they said, oh yeah, Bethlehem. They knew right away. Now in other places in the scripture, it'll talk about they went and diligently searched the scripture for an answer. They already knew. Isn't it interesting that they understood what the Bible said, but they weren't, they weren't looking for the king, were they? They they had knowledge of it. They fully understood what the Bible had said about the king, but they weren't searching. And now all of a sudden things are thrown into turmoil because, wait a second, these wise men who diligently search and who are always looking for king and the authority and the royalty, they found it. We didn't. Interesting. Keep going. The gifts. 
We know them so well. And again, this is maybe a rehearsal for some of you, but I want you to understand what this meant in the Bible. Uh, number one, they were very expensive gifts. Okay, this wasn't something you just ran down to the Walmart and picked up. Okay, some of these gifts were several years worth of annual salary. I mean, very, very expensive gifts. Uh, and I wanted it to be understood they were worthy of a king. Okay, this wasn't uh, pocket change. This was something that was a custom. If you entered to see and honor a king in his throne room, you wanted to give credence to that king, you offered him very, very expensive gifts. How many of you watched the movie, come on, about uh, an old-time uh, you know, uh, king in his throne room, and they come with chests and chests and chests worth of f- silk and linens, and uh, you know, they just all this stuff is displayed because they want to honor the king. I want you to get that image in your mind. This is not something where they just came and kind of, oh, here you go, I got a pocket full of, you know. They purposely brought these things with them as an offering to a king. All right? Number one, gold, that represents a king in the scripture, represents God's deity, his glory, always. Number two, frankincense. And again, if you're not understanding that frankincense so much, take the frank off for it. What does it say? Incense. Okay? It was something that was very well known and used in the worship of God in the temple and the tabernacle. Okay? And this was specifically in regards in a picture of his priesthood. Okay? And then myrrh. Um, talking about the prophecy, and it's amazing to me. How many of you have ever heard the term that Jesus was prophet, priest, and king? Okay, David is an amazing picture of that. David was also prophet, priest, and king Okay, in his picture. Isn't it amazing that the gifts they brought to honor him as king fulfilled the Hebrew scripture of him being prophet and priest and king? All three of these gifts. One of them in particular stands out because myrrh was something that was used as an embalming agent. And it was the first thing that was given to him with this gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Joseph of Arimathea, when he takes Jesus Christ off the cross, the last thing that is offered to him is myrrh. Okay, amazing. Right from the beginning, this picture of this precious ointment that was used for someone's death is right involved from the very beginning. We talk about he was born to die. That was the prophecy. Right from the beginning, myrrh, and the last thing that is given to him when he is getting prepared to be laid in the tomb was myrrh. Amazing in God's picture. Okay, so those are the gifts. Egypt. We're going to study the story. Uh, let's read the rest of the chapter. Verse 11. And then when, when they were coming to the house... They saw the young child with his mother and fell down and worshipped. And they had opened their treasures to present them gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And he arose and took the young child and his mother by night and departed unto Egypt and uh, was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, 
which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceedingly wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and, and in the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And it was fulfilled. And I want you to notice that. It's the second time in this passage that it is saying it was fulfilled what was prophesied. Remember what uh, Matthew's focus is? is to remind us, and as we study this book together, we will continually see God say, and it was fulfilled as it was spoken. All these things are being done because God forewarned them, and this is a sign to the Jews that these things have been in their prophecies that they've had for centuries. Okay? Uh, that it would, uh, verse 17, that it was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah, was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they were not, or they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for they sought, uh, for they that sought, <laughs> try that again, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Archelaus did reign in Judah in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding, being warned in a dream, he turned and abided in parts of Galilee. That, and he came and dwelt in the city of Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called Nazarene. Three times in that short passage, Matthew is making sure that it's declared that this is something that fulfills the prophecies. Okay? This king is rightfully king. Now, a couple of things notice. I want you to uh, remember. Oh, make sure I got my notes there. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, it is also a tribulation picture. I, I don't want to skip by that. Um, that they are warned that your children are in great danger. It happened literally in Ramah to the children of Israel back in Jeremiah. It happened here as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's going to happen in the tribulation period where the children of Israel have to hide because they are in danger. Remember the three, rule, the three uh, applications of Scripture? historically, doctrinally, and personally. Okay? That there are always three applications. We'll see that in a minute. Okay. Keep going. It says, talks about out of Egypt. Before we go there, how many of you caught that little thing about the house? I've mentioned this before. Um, that the children of, that uh, the, when the wise men got there, they went to the house, not the manger. Right, he was more than a baby. I just want to make sure this is clear. And again, please, don't feel freaked out about your manger scene. Okay, but I've done this in my own home now just for the fun of it. Uh, we'll put the manger scene over here. And then way over there, in the other side of the room on a shelf, I've got the wise men. Why? Because the wise men didn't show up when Jesus was a babe in the manger. They showed up when he was a young child in the house. Okay, again, I just, just want to point that out because so many times we get the Christmas story and it's not Bible. Yeah, 
So why do you think it is that when Herod decided to kill the babies, he, did, he killed children two years and under? Because that's about the age that Jesus probably was. Okay, we think, well, if he was looking to kill Jesus, all he had to do was go out and kill any infant. But the, is, but the children, uh, yeah, listen, the wise men showed up at the house where Jesus was. And he's no longer called a babe, he's called a young child. Okay, and Herod gets so ticked off that he was duped that he decides go out into all of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas and kill everybody two years and under. Because that's about how long. Because he inquired when they first saw the star, by the time they got there, by the time they worshipped him, he was already in a house with his mother. Okay, Just, again... It, does that mean, you know, don't set up your manger scene with three wise men? Okay, do what you want. It's Christmas. We have little traditions that we do because it's a Christmas tradition. But when you understand, you know, and what's neat is, where's the wise men? Oh, they're over there. Why are they all the way over there? Well, because the Bible says they didn't show up until he was already in a house. Okay, if you want to put them there, that's fine. No worries. Okay, I'm not going to come to your house and go... Oh, I got to sit these people down and talk to them once or twice. Okay. But it's just understanding what the Bible actually says. So we've learned a few things about the star. We've learned a few things about the wise men. Okay. Just keeping it biblical is what we want to do. All right. Um, And then he is called out of Egypt. And again, this is a phrase that is very important in the scripture. Egypt throughout the Bible is a picture of the world. It's always been a picture of the world system. God uses it not just when the children of Israel are in Egypt, but throughout the scripture. Okay? He talks about when he talks about Egypt, Egypt is a picture of those this corrupt world system that we are in. Okay? He called Jesus out of Egypt. He calls his children Israel out of Egypt, especially in the tribulation period. And you and I are to be called out of Egypt, aren't we? Are we supposed to be part of this world system, or are we supposed to be separate and represent our Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, it's an amazing picture there. All right, last little bit, and we're done. We see a few folks here, and I want us to ask ourselves the question, which one represents you and me? Number one, Herod, when he learned about Jesus, when he learned about the king, he was threatened. Okay, and I'll tell you one thing, guys. Um, don't be deceived. When we go into this world and talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and his position as Savior and God as position of sovereign Lord over this whole universe and creation, people are threatened by that. You know, one of the reasons why a lot of people don't even want to admit there's a God? Well, I'm going to have to, if I admit there's a God, then there's somebody I have to answer to, and they don't like that. They don't like the fact that their behaviors might be qualified as sin. So it's just much easier to say there is no God than it is to say there is a God and I might have to listen to him. So what am I going to do? Nope, no God. Because when you're presented an idea that there's a king of kings and lord of lords, you might just be threatened by that. Number two, how sad is it? But I'm telling you folks, and I'm not making a judgment on anybody personally. Please understand that. But there are churches that are meeting right at this very moment the same time as we are who have knowledge of the Scripture but are not spending any time actually seeking the King of Kings. 
They, might be tell, they could tell you the Bible in and out. They talk about it. They have it on their shelves. They have church every week. But they spend more time talking about social justice and activities and who we're going to feed and who we're going to clothe. Nothing wrong with those things. But are they actually seeking the king? Because I guarantee you right now, and again, please, I don't want, I don't want to present us as any better. We're not. But there are those out there who have a knowledge but aren't seeking the king. Or you can be like these wise men who had the scriptures, who were continuously in the truth, and when they found out they should be finding and seeking the king, they went and found him. They didn't just know, oh yeah, uh, I think he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. La-di-da, go on with life. They were actually looking, and when they found him, remember I told you to remember a certain phrase? They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. There are people like this all around us that we're going to run into this week. That number one, when you start to talk about them of Jesus as Savior and the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, are going to be threatened by that and don't want to hear it. There are going to be people who maybe have spent their entire life in church. Well, my grandma used to go to this church, and then my mom, and now I go to this church, and I've heard it all before. But they're not looking. They're not seeking. They slid into a rut of religious things. Okay, these priests and scribes, man, they knew the word of God. Their job was to copy it by hand. Every single word in the Bible, their hands had written. They knew it, but they weren't looking. The wise men who were still digging, looking, they found the answer and they sought him out. And when they found him, it was awesome. Um, there's an old quote that used to be on bumper stickers and I had it on, in a bookmark in one of my books in Bible college that says, wise men still seek him. Are you seeking? Please don't slide in a rut that, oh yeah, Bethel Bible Church, yeah, we preach God's word, we know God's word, yeah, that's awesome. Are you seeking the king? Because if you're not spending your life trying to get that relationship with Jesus closer and closer every day, then the word of God means absolutely nothing. Uh, we say this kind of often. You may know the word of God, but do you know the God of the word? And that's the key. So, some interesting things we studied about this visit of the wise men, reminding ourselves a few truths about the Bible. But the thing I want to point out today is are you full of exceeding great joy because you know the king, you found him? Man, I am. Hope you are. Keep seeking. Keep looking. Amen. And what Dan said in Sunday school was awesome. Um, that the more and more we plug into this book okay, is the key. Okay, there are churches out there who will tell you emotionally you can just get closer to God. Well, you're not going to get closer to God without this book, without his words. Over and over, Jesus said, listen, you are my friends if you keep my commandments and the things that I have said. So today, don't be surprised if you run into folks like this, but make sure that you and I are the ones who are seeking the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Man, I'll tell you what, just a thought, just, just one more thought, I promise. It'll take 20 minutes, but one more thought. If you knew Jesus was here on this earth right now, 
If all of a sudden we found a Bible verse and it said he's going to be in Boston at the garden for one day and one day only, how many of us would make an effort to go see him? Every one of us, right? Well, you know, we have the ability to see him and be a part of him and fellowship with him and love on him and, and have him be a part of our lives every moment of every day. Are we seeking it that way? If we knew we could meet with him physically, we'd do everything we could to get there. But we could meet with him every moment of every day through prayer and his word. And boy, we take that for granted, don't we? Wise men still seek him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, we learned a few things that have been a little bit convoluted down through the years about Christmas, about where the wise men were and where they came from and, uh, Father, how long it took and what kind of star. And Lord, uh, those things are good that we have clarity of the Word of God. But we want to make sure that the, the understanding we have is according to your Bible. And Father, I'm thankful for that. But Lord, we also saw several groups of people here in this story who had completely opposite responses when it came to hearing about the King. And Father, I just pray that you would help us on a daily basis to be seeking out our Savior, our King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of having a relationship. He's not just the big guy upstairs. Lord, he wants an everyday, moment-by-moment, precious relationship with us. And sometimes we take that for granted. So Father, I pray you just help us to Go out into this world and remind people how awesome it is to know God. Not just know His Word, that's important. But if all we're doing is focusing on the intellectual side of the Bible and missing the fact that we have a relationship with a personal Lord and Savior, we miss it. Father, thank you. And now we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. And Lord, the foundation of the Lord's Supper is that we sit down with our Heavenly Father for a moment and check in with Him. The Lord's table, we get a chance to remind ourselves that we have a precious relationship and we get to sit down with the Lord for a moment and examine ourselves in light of what He wants for us. So Father, as we share this together, it's important that we do this seriously. The Bible warns that people are sickly and have problems because maybe they're not viewing their life in the light of what God wants for them. And so, Father, please help us as we spend a few moments before you examining ourselves and making sure we are still those who are seeking the King of Kings. Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.